Welcome to Feels Like Home, a home, garden, and design podcast with me, interior designer Sam Strzok. And me, stylist and photographer Eva Cosmos Flores. Each week, we'll bring you down-to-earth advice to help you create beauty in your living space and vibrancy in your garden. Along with insights and tips from our guests. Plus, every episode, we'll dive into listener mail and help you solve a garden or design problem. So send them on over to us at feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. So pull up a seat and make yourself at home. Hi, guys, and welcome. I'm Eva. And I'm Sam. And welcome to the Feels Like Home podcast. Uh, We're really excited to have you guys here today. We have a wonderful guest in store, Brian Thackeray from uh, JRA. He's going to talk to us all about sustainable building, which is going to be super interesting. But first, we're going to dive into our uh, our strides and our struggles. Yes. Yeah. I'll go ahead and, and kick it off. So as far as my stride, one thing that I've been having a little bit of a hard time with or procrastinating is just putting away Christmas decorations. But I finally got that put away. We kind of have like a haphazard storage situation in like an attic crawl space where just basically disintegrating cardboard boxes filled with very <laughs> delicate de- holiday decorations. So it was like my plan for this year was to, okay, I'm going to like get real sturdy storage bins and like clearly label what's in every box, um, you know, make sure it's like mouse proof or moth proof or whatever. So I finally got all that done and put away and nice. uh, it feels really good. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. For my stride, um, I f- it feels like kind of a big deal, but it's really not that big of a deal. I finally got to order all of our like guest room furniture and dining room furniture. So kind of just like working through all the miscellaneous spaces. I think I'm like, I don't know, shameful to admit like we moved into our house a year ago and we just honestly didn't have the resources to like decorate every single yeah. space. So had to really like focus in on like what rooms are we going to tackle first what rooms are we going to tackle second so for me super important that the boys' rooms were done and then next to that was our bedroom so then um the rest of spaces were just like extra furniture that we had or not long-term furniture yeah. that we were going to keep in the space so we ordered our dining room table and then had been using like some just like extra farm chairs for a while <laughs> I love it. Um, And then there's like no bed in the guest room at all. It's just like (laughs) literally empty. So my parents have been sleeping in Penn's room when they come and visit um, because we do have a bed in there that pulls out to a king bed. So they have a place to sleep, but it's not like the guest room. So we finally got the guest room furniture ordered and it's on the way. And then we got our dining room set like chairs or whatever ordered. So Kind of feels like a big deal, although I was, not going to lie, a little bit disappointed that lead times are still like 16 to 22 weeks on those wow. things. So wow. I don't know when they will show up, but they are ordered and it's exciting. That's very exciting. But I feel like that's also like completely common when you're either you've just bought a, a new home that you're moving into or built a home. Like there's so much money that goes into purchasing or building a home. And then there's usually not a lot left for like all the furniture bits. So then you have to like wait a while. I mean, honestly, Jeremy and I bought our house like seven and a half, eight years ago and we're still finally collecting like real adult, like good (laughs) furniture pieces to add in. Yeah. I know that's totally normal and it's normal even on the projects that we work in. I think it's more just like the expectation around 
a house being perfect when you yes. are a designer and that and you provide these services. So I can't even imagine. Um, it's really just like an internal battle with myself of just acknowledging like, hey, we are actually just a real family with like young kids and, you know, just average needs. So these things do have to be phased just mm-hmm. like what we tell our clients and what we deal with with our clients. So I am just a real human being like everyone else. That's right. <laughs> you don't have to be perfect all the I time. I do not have to be perfect all the time. So, um, but yeah, it did feel like an accomplishment to like be able to say, okay, this stuff is on order, which means this, these two rooms will be done. Yeah. And where did up. you get your dining table from? If you don't mind me asking. That one's from our house. I thought so. I yes. saw like a sponsored Instagram ad from them and I was like, that's Sam's beautiful dining it table. I is. love it. It's like super beat up already. Like it showed up that way. And we did that because again, two small children. Yeah. So they beat it up all the time. So <laughs> I'm, I actually know without a doubt that they've added many scratches and marker marks on it and all the things. And I'm here for it. So yeah. um, I really wanted our house to feel livable for our family and for our kids. So accepting all of life's things, like the marker on the table, even to that end, like being able to look at it and be like, oh, Granger did that when he was six. Yeah. Like, I am actually cool with that. So yeah. we bought something that was significantly pre-distressed to embrace yeah. life's it's like the advantage Stuff. of the rustic look is it's like, no, the scratches just blend right in. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just looks like it's a part of the the piece. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so but in terms of like struggles, one thing that, you know, I kind of talk about a little bit in our interview with Brian, but uh, our house is very drafty right now. Well, not right now. It's always very drafty. Uh, it was built in 1937, I think. And, you know, just with the years of seasons and stuff, like the wood being exposed to different temperatures, like everything is gapping and we have single pane windows pretty much on the entire first floor that are original to the house and some on the second floor that, you know, just the cold, you can feel it walking by the windows. And it's like enough to where sometimes we just have the curtains closed in the daytime to help keep the heat in. Um, Because it's just like escaping through all the windows and then just, you know, cracks around every front door or side door. And we also have this really cute little like old timey, uh, like instead of a peephole on the front door, like they had cut out this small rectangle that's maybe like five inches by like four inches with. And it's a little iron, like tiny door that you can open with like bars, like a tiny like jail thing. (laughs) So you can like see kind of see who's at your front door. So it's very cute. But on the downside, obviously, it's like not sealed at all because it's just iron. So then like all the cold air pours through the front door. And my desk is right in front of the front door. So I'm just like blasted by like all the lack of insulation all day and shivering. And I'm also... One of those people who has like terrible circulation to their hands and feet. So I'm already cold all winter anyway. <laughs> so it's just been rough. I'm just wearing like lots of sweaters and like bathrobes all the time and like two pairs of socks. Yeah. Trying to stay warm, taking lots of baths every day to like reheat myself. But yeah, that's my struggles. Just like sealing up all these cracks, dealing with being in an, a non-energy efficient house is hard and frustrating. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, my struggle this week is really, uh, I mean, it's its nothing major, but 
Hen is like rotating through illness all the time right now. It's kind of the, we, we say it's like the, what is it? Like the rite of passage of a child that goes into daycare, right? So he has been in daycare now for six months maybe. And just one sickness after the next. And I will say like COVID complicated things quite a bit. Yeah. So anytime in a daycare, a child has any symptom related yeah. to COVID, then they have to like shut down, test all the kids. So Penn's probably been tested like three or four different times we've had to get him wow. tested. Um, every time it's negative, we only had have had one actual shutdown at our daycare so far where it's like two weeks of hard shutdown. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just like weird navigating a little one that's sick. And then we've got Granger in school, public school. So like they're sharing germs and then with each other and then he's got exposure at school. And so mm-hmm. navigating just like winter sickness this year feels really weird with the kids in daycare and in school during COVID. So, yeah, it's it's presents challenges when you like are suddenly thrust into having no child care for two weeks or, um, you know, just need to get your kid tested or do whatever. So not only are you typically losing sleep because you're like, have a snotty nosed kid, but, um, yeah, then they like can't go back to daycare at all, which what do you do? What do you do? Do you have like your in-laws help while you're at the office or, um, sometimes it depends on what's going on on the farm. Like if, we're in harvest or we're dealing with cider stuff, then my mother-in-law is tied up because she works on that stuff with Jordan. Okay. Um, But thankfully, Jordan actually doesn't work full-time. He works part-time. So he usually picks up the slack on that. I'm super grateful for it. Um, And that lets me kind of still be at work part-time as needed. So, and then I can work from home if I need to, or the team, I mean, Hood River Small, my office is literally six minutes from my house. So yeah. If I have to have the team come like together for a meeting, then they'll come over to my house. Or oh, that's like, nice. Uh, I don't know. We all hang out. We're kind of friends. It's, oh, that's good. It's neat. So it, it, we make it work, yeah. you know. And Jordan's your husband, just for listeners who yes. don't know that. <laughs> yes. He's, he's my counterpart. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we get we make it through. But Penn's just been like really snotty, sick, not sleeping well. I'm sorry. Normal. Eh. Poor baby. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get through it. I have friends with little ones who are in daycare and they're dealing with like the same thing, which is really hard because they're both like working full time. Luckily, they both work from home, but it's still it's like their kid is, I think, like just six months, you know, so she's small. And like when she's home, she needs attention pretty much like all the time that she's not sleeping. Um, So even then it's like, well, I guess I just still have to take the day off. Right. Even though it's rough. It's impossible to work from home. With a little one. Yeah. Full time, you know? Yeah. Maybe during like nap breaks or whatever, but generally it's really hard to switch like mentally, for me at least, mentally switch from like work mode to mom mode, like that back and forth in the day. Yeah. Cause it's so. like totally different parts of your brain too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really hard. And you don't want them to see you necessarily like working in front of them and ignoring them. Right. Because that's not great <laughs> there is so it's hard do you have will you have a home office room we do but like in order to not have pen cs right like then yeah. somebody has to be watching him so yeah that's true yeah. there's like you know 
there's probably more Sesame Street and like Coco Melon that's played in our house over the last two <laughs> months than I care to admit. But at this point, it's sort of like whatever it takes to survive. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's good. Yeah. Well, we should probably jump on over and start chatting with Brian. Cool. Want gorgeous photos of your home? I've made five beautiful Lightroom mobile presets that will bring brightness and beauty to your space, and you can grab them for free at feelslikehomepodcast.com. Today's guest is Brian Thackeray, and he is a project manager at JRA, which is one of the leading green building companies in Portland. He helps create spaces that are as sustainable and resilient as possible, and we're so happy to have him here with us today. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Eva. Glad to be here with you. Yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I am, as you mentioned, I'm a project manager for JRA Green Building, a sustainable new home construction and remodeling company uh, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I've been working for the company for about five years. Um, in fact, just celebrated my five-year anniversary at the beginning of October. Congrats! Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, although I've known uh, the company owner, James Arnold, for many years, um, we've collaborated on projects over the years. And Oh, let's see. In 2014, I think it was, I took a bit of a sabbatical from construction uh, to pursue some other things. And uh, I stayed in touch with James because we were friends and he would periodically check in with me and uh, see if he could coax me back into back into building and finally made the offer I couldn't refuse in 2016. <laughs> so I've been with the team ever since. That's awesome. Yeah. What really drew you to Sustainable? building yeah what drew me to sustainable uh sustainable building um number of things one i'm i'm an absolute lover of the outdoors and the natural environment and uh i understand that all the choices we make as both builders and consumers have an impact on the environment um so i wanted to make sure that what i do in my professional life does the most that it can to ensure healthy environment that these places these wild places that i love uh can remain intact um i one of the companies that i worked for earlier in my career was a is based in portland it's called bamboo revolution and they're a supplier of, of bamboo building materials and they also do custom work out of bamboo material um so when i was there uh they offered fsc certified bamboo products. So I, that was my first introduction to FSC certification, which is, it's an international nonprofit um, whose goal is, is uh, to ensure responsible management of, of forests and sustainable harvest of forest products, manufacture of the goods. Um, they, they track products from raw good all the way through to the finished product uh, with their chain of custody um, certification. So what kind of things like typically have FSC certification on them, like building products or also furniture too, like on the interior design end or 
Yeah, that's right. It's most, it's just about anything that can be made out of wood products or cellulose products. Um, so you see it, you see it most frequently in day-to-day products. You'll see it on like toilet paper or printer paper, that FSC logo. But uh, nowadays you, you see it more and more furniture, um, but also the the framing lumber that we use or the plywood that we use in building new homes and remodels um, can also bear the FSC certification. Um, we, uh, JRA Green Building is an FSC certified construction company, one of, one of few. Um, so uh, we can actually, because we're a certified company, the homes that we build can be certified FSC houses. They can be an FSC product, just like your printer paper, or your toilet paper. So Brian, um, can you actually detail what FSC stands for? Yeah, FSC is Forest Stewardship Council. Uh-huh. And as I mentioned, uh, yeah, they're the international nonprofit organization whose mission statement is to ensure sustainability of forest products, sustainable forestry practices um, that preserve ecosystems and also have a social equity component to it as well. And if a general consumer wanted to get more information about what that means and which products have it, where would they go to get that information? Oh, yeah. Uh, FSC has a website. I believe it's fsc.org. Yep, that's the place to go. Um, So you can read all about their mission statement, standards, values. Um, I believe there's some some product resources on there, some articles. Their, Their website's a good resource. And as far as standards go or labels that you can see on on products, if you're interested in in sustainable products, consumer goods or building products, FSC is really recognized as one of the gold standards. Great. Uh, Well, before we move on to specific questions relevant to a home, a question that I had as you were talking was, what facet of sustainability are you most passionate about? Because it feels like sustainability is such a broad, all-encompassing topic, right? So when it comes to sustainable building, what part of the house or project are you most excited about when you're approaching that? Oh, man, that is such a good question, Sam, and a really tough one to answer because, as you mentioned, uh, sustainability is a big catch-all for a lot of different concepts. There's so many variables that go in into creating a sustainable home. Uh, most people are pretty familiar, I'd say, with with energy efficiency. I'd say for me, and, and that's something I am definitely passionate about. Um, I would say, though, the thing that I'm I'm really most interested in is how through um, through good design we can actually use less because that's going to be the most impactful thing is not not necessarily the efficient efficiency of the of the like heating and cooling or or the lighting the energy use of the house or the the insulation that goes into into the house stuff like that it's it's really about using less the way you know use using using materials and energy have have an impact on the environment um, with their embodied energy, uh, transportation, you know, stuff like that, the depleting resources from the environment. Um, if we, if through thoughtful design, we can do more with less space and mm-hmm. with 
fewer resources, there's going to be less initial demand and then less energy input over the lifespan of the product, in this case, a house, um, to, to use it. Cool. I'm curious about like what, so let's say that someone um, is really interested in, you know, energy efficiency or green building or just, you know, wanting to make their space more environmentally friendly, but they have a really limited budget. Um, what are some of the lowest cost or like really simple uh, green retrofits folks could do in their homes or on their property? Oh yeah, I'm glad you asked because um, I, I feel like um, there can be it can feel like there's a barrier to entry to sustainability, um, but there are there definitely are things that are either low or no cost that homeowners or renters can do to to improve the energy performance and also water use performance of their of their homes. And the Energy Trust of Oregon uh, at energytrust.org has some really awesome lists of these kind of things um, off the top of my head um, weather stripping doors uh, or storm window kits for for windows heating and cooling is is the bulk or i shouldn't say bulk it's it's a huge component to the ener energy consumption of a house and um and air leakage the draftiness of a house is is a huge way that that homes they lose energy, so you thereby requiring more energy input to heat and cool. So uh, stopping stopping that air leakage is really important, and that can often be you know simple, a pretty inexpensive we uh, weather stripping kit for around doors, um, caulking gaps where pipes or um, wires come in and out of the house. Mm -hmm. um, checking stuff like that um, that can have a huge impact. Let's see, uh, for water usage, there's studies that show that there's some, some large percentage of homes have plumbing leaks, and uh, that's a huge, huge percentage of water consumption is just leak leaks, um, and it can be like a toilet flapper um, that's kind of worn out, so the toilet slowly leaks, but there's estimated that there's about a trillion gallons of wasted water in, in homes per year, just from drippy faucets and, and leaky toilets. So going through and just making sure that your faucets aren't dripping, replacing gaskets and O-rings and stuff like that can have a huge contribution. And that, that'll show up in your water bill too. So there's a there should be an economic incentive to take care of those things. Yeah, definitely an economic uh, incentive for all of that stuff. Because like our house yeah. that we live in right now is... Well, probably like around 80 years old and yeah. all the stuff you're talking about weather stripping that's like what we have to do every winter <laughs> because our windows are like old single pane glass and there's like yeah gaps around all the doors like if you walk past the front door in january like you feel the cold air coming in through like the gaps and stuff um so you know we try to do our best to keep it all sealed up but uh yeah it really it does uh make a huge difference uh doing all the weather sealing and stuff. Yeah. And then like a, a next tier up from that, if you're a, if you're a homeowner, um, you know, your, your fixtures and your appliances and like your furnace, they eventually, they have a lifespan. They eventually wear out. So uh, the next step would be when those things do wear out, replace them 
with the highest efficiency models that you can afford um, at the time. Does Energy Star, like I see that on a lot of stuff, is that a good indicator that it's an efficient appliance or? Yes. Yeah. Energy Star is a great resource on that. And they have a website as well. Um, so Energy Star, they have that, there's that yellow tag that you can see on um, on new appliances that shows like what the average performance of, of a similar appliance is and then how this the model that you're looking at ranks against that. So that Energy Star rated appliances are going to be on the higher performance end of the spectrum. Nice. Cool. So switching gears as we talk more about new construction versus remodeling, for new builds, what are the most important things to consider for energy efficiency or sustainability? Um, Well, as I mentioned before, um, smart design for the most efficient use of materials is going to be first and foremost, making sure to trim excess wherever possible. So there's less demand for, for raw goods and then less demand for energy input over the lifespan of the house. That's first and foremost. Um, second, um, sustainably sourced materials like the FSC building materials, a, a really tight envelope. And by that, I mean the the exterior of the house, the roof, foundation, exterior walls, the things that divide the interior of the house from the exterior. Um, it needs to be both as airtight as possible and then as, as thermally buffered as possible. So really high insulation values so like, that. Oh, go ahead. That kind of reminds me of like, so full disclosure, uh, <laughs> Brian works at JRA <laughs> and they're the company that's, that's going to be uh, building my house out in the gorge, which I'm really excited about because then I get to be closer to Sam. Yay. Um, <laughs> but uh, one thing that you guys were talking about that I hadn't, hadn't really considered, but I was like, well, duh, like obviously that makes a huge impact was like orienting the house, uh, like knowing whether all these windows are going to be like south facing or north facing and kind of uh, tracking where the sunlight's going to be throughout the day over, you know, winter versus summer and how that's going to, you know, maybe blast the house with really intense heat in the summer if it's orientated like south and, you know, all that stuff was like super interesting. And I feel like I would never have thought of that before. Yeah, there are. So in in thinking about sustainability, energy efficiency and stuff like that, there are um, there are passive things that we can do and those will reduce the demand for energy inputs. And then there are active things There are are, uh, the technologies, the equipment and stuff like that um, that uh, that drive higher efficiency. Yeah, higher energy use efficiency. So what you're talking about are some of the passive things that we do in building a house, designing and building a house is is orientation. So you can, in the seasons where you need heating, you can have the sun do some of that for you. And then shading so that in the summertime, um, the sun isn't creating demand for a cooling load in the house. And that can be roof overhangs. It can be deciduous trees that, you know, are placed in proximity to the house so that when they have leaves on them in the summertime, they, they block that sun in the fall and winter when they lose their leaves, they let that sunlight in. Yeah. That's a really good idea too. I didn't even think about that, but it totally works out in terms of shading and stuff. Um, I was also curious about thinking about designing in different 
landscapes like i know you guys build and design in the pacific northwest so you're focused a lot on like wildfire uh you know safe houses and dealing with a lot of moisture because it rains here all the time are there any like sustainability ideas for people that like live in different types of climates so like something things to consider if you live in like arizona and it's really hot or things that people should consider if they live in like a really damp cloudy place um yeah i i i am i'm most conversant in building in in our environment here in the in the northwest so i know what works here but there are there are material choice strategies um for for different environments different yeah different materials that would you would use whether you're using mass wall construction versus stick framing like we tend to do here um in dry in like the dry desert climates you'll see like the adobe house it's it's classic in the desert southwest for a reason it has like high it has high thermal mass so it'll absorb the sun's energy during the day um, but then there's a lag time uh, for when it dissipates that solar energy at night so overall you have this evening out of temperature so that's that's a that's one classic example but it is it is important to build with materials and strategies that are most suited to your climate so it's it's good to engage with design professionals and builders in in your area who who know how to manage um moist moisture heat sun uh that's specific to your climate extreme cold stuff like that well and i think to your original point of saying that a good design drives sort of the outcome and the efficiency of the project so if we say that good design is critical to the energy efficiency and the sustainability agenda how would you advise a consumer to find the right design team right so um, do you think it's important to have an architect or an engineer or who are the stakeholders and what would you be looking for in those people to make sure that we're still aligning with the goal does that make sense yeah absolutely um uh you're right um design design is of critical importance to to the sustainability agenda of a project sustainability doesn't happen by accident it takes careful planning with the building systems the the layout of the house the material selections and stuff like that um so yeah the critical stakeholders in a project would be would be the architect uh or and or interiors design uh landscape designer um and and sometimes you know one professional provides all these services sometimes you're going to need to find different um, consultants for these different roles um, it's good to have your contractor involved early um, so they can weigh in on buildability efficiency of material use sustainability of material selections and things like that there are third-party certification outfits nonprofits that provide this uh, service of uh, doing an energy audit and a sustainability audit of the project overall. Um, there are uh, certifications that you can go for for your house, whether that's passive house or living building challenge or uh, net zero 
um, depending on what your sustainability goals, if there are, if they're focused more on energy performance or if they're on a more broader definition of, of, of sustainability, you can look into some of these certifications. And once again, those would take a third party to, to audit, become a stakeholder to make sure that the sustainability agenda has equal seating in the overall goals of the project. And people, it doesn't have to be new construction to get an energy audit. So like if you, uh, or sorry, it doesn't have to be like an unbuilt house. Like if you have an existing house or space, you can still get an energy audit on that space, right? With one of those people, if you're just like, I want to make this more energy efficient, but I have no idea like where to start or how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can, that's that's right. And that's a good place to start uh, is an evaluation of, of current performance of the house and then establish goals uh, for for what your remodel or retrofit is going to be able to achieve. One one outfit that we partner with is uh, is Earth Advantage. And so they they we've worked with them on on houses that have been net zero ready or um, or hope to achieve passive house standard. So one thing that they'll do is when the house is still in the framing stage of construction, when all the sheathing's on and the windows are in, but before the drywall goes on, they'll come in and they'll seal up the door opening and put a put this fan in the door that either pressurizes or depressurizes the building structure. Hmm. And they test test for envelope leakage, uh, so how much air leaks into it or out of the house. Uh, and so we can chase that down. We there are certain standards like if you want to get uh, passive house certification for the house, um, you have to have less than 0.6 air exchanges per hour um, at a certain level of pressure. Uh, so they can help us early on identify where how the house is performing, and then we can go around and chase down those air leaks and tighten things up with caulking or sealants or whatever. Um, so that we can so we can meet the expectations for and performance expectations for the house. I would be so fr- afraid to see my current <laughs> rating on this <laughs> very old drafty house. But hopefully, Ryan, with the next one, <laughs> we'll be real tight. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Brian, we're going to ask you a question that we ask every guest that we have on the show. And it is, what does home feel like to you? Oh, that's such a cool question, and something that I've I've had to contemplate a lot lately because um, I just I just moved this year, uh, so and and bought my first home, Yay, so first first time homeowner, and I <laughs> went in on um when I went in on the place with my brother and his partner, which is it's kind of an unconventional arrangement, but uh, one that I hope to see more and more of is uh, cohabitating outside of the nuclear fam- family um, yeah. and sharing, sharing resources. So for me, home is, it's, it's a place for family, whatever that looks like for you. It's, and it's also a base camp. I'm, I'm an adventurer and I love, love exploring. I love playing in the outdoors. So it's, you know, it's a place for me to come back to and re- regroup feel healthy and nurtured and connected with my family and community and a place. Yeah. A place where I, where I can dream, dream about the future and about the earth, I guess. I love that. It's great. 
I think we'll have to follow up with you in like six months about communal living yeah. and have another yeah. episode dedicated <laughs> so. to what is it like to live communally? Yeah, that would be really interesting. I would be, yeah, super interested to hear. And then we could have the whole gang on. Yes. Well, yeah, I'd be happy to, happy to join you for that one. And I think Jason and Nicole would love to talk to you as well about it. But so far, so good. We've been in here since uh, the end of May and there's been and very little friction but we're all we're all really good at um we're all equal participants and in, in building the dream here yeah and i think especially like for covid times that also says a lot that it's like still good even though you're probably inside a lot more than you would have been like a couple years ago totally yeah yeah although we do have a couple of acres here so oh nice there, there's a little bit of room to stretch out <laughs> are you all in the same house structure yeah we're yeah we're in the same house yeah there's a pretty modest uh manufactured home here but it's in it's in really good shape the insulation seems to be performing really well it's not drafty and it's got good separation of of public and private spaces so it's actually the layout works really well for our unique living arrangement um and then there's an outbuilding where we have all of our like fishing stuff and gardening supplies and stuff like that. And then uh, some some good cleared land where hopefully next year we have a bountiful garden. It's great. Yeah. I feel like I took a big risk moving onto our family's orchard. And, you know, we just finished our house last year and have been living there now. Well, we've been living on the orchard for six years, but built our home and finished it last year. So, um it's always funny when you talk to people and you're like, yes, I live kind of on a commune with my family, all of my in-laws, <laughs> my sister, you know, my brother-in-law, we all live together really close. Um, and people have strong reactions to that. So I feel like it's already <laughs> interesting to like live and cohabitate within the same property, but then to like share a dwelling is yeah. even more yeah. of a, I don't know. It's a crazy choice. I love that though. Yeah. But it's also like my dad's from Greece and all I have a lot big family back in Greece and it's so common there to do the multi-generational like housing where it's like the grandparents live with their kids and right. their grandkids and that's like normal to have kind of like less separation where there's just like just more bodies in one house right. where I feel like yeah. in uh, the US at least it's like oh no everyone has their own home yeah and I mean we've also, offered yeah. to my parents to have them sell their house and actually move in with us um, oh, nice. because they want to retire and be closer to grandkids and all of those things. So it's definitely a conversation that I feel like is happening more and more yeah. here. Which yeah. Is great. Yeah. Like that I, I something. Think it's, oh, go ahead. I think it's great. And I hope it does happen more. Uh, for, I mean, on the sustainability tip, you know, you're pooling resources, mm -hmm. you're using, you're using fewer resources by having more bodies under, under one roof. That's, you know, only one set of of appliances and yeah and and house stuff you know for for more people and 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 then also the sense of connectivity togetherness that i think over the over the last uh, year and a half of covid we've realized is is really important and then and then yet another thing is is like the elder care and child care issues that we have yes. in this in this country and uh you know having multi-generational families living under one roof people are taken care of by their own families in, in a 
ideally more, I mean, all families have different interpersonal dynamics, sure. but I, ideally <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a nurturing situation where yeah, those, right. those needs, those needs are, are met um, within the family. Love that. Yeah. I love that yeah. too. That's something that we were thinking about with our places like, Oh, like if my parents get too old to, you know, like live on their own, like where could we fit them in? Because that, yeah, like that whole feeling of um, community and togetherness that like, you know, you feel when you go into a house that's multi-generational, like there's just this warmth and wonderful, like loving feeling in those spaces. And it's, I feel like we need more of that today. <laughs> in the <world>. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Agreed. But then again, I get along with all my siblings and with my parents and grandparents. Yeah, which is the case for everyone. So that, that's, that's a, it's coming from a privileged perspective yes. that I say that. I fully understand it's not for everybody. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, we'd love to ask you a question from a listener um, that we sure. had submitted, if you're down. Absolutely. Okay, cool. And you kind of already answered I think like part of this earlier on, but um, this question is from Carmen um, and she asks, how do you know when furniture is made sustainably? Oh yeah. It, it depends. It's going to depend on what the uh, materials are that it's made out of. But if it's wood furniture, a real easy way to tell would be if, if it does have the FSC certification for the, for the materials. There are other resources that you can look up and it would depend on if the manufacturer is participates in some of these things, but um, there's uh, a cradle to cradle certification. That's also a, is, has uh, looks into the sustainability of, of product consumer products. Um, and then there's uh, the living Building challenge um, from the Living Futures Institute has has a this system they call the Declare Label and the Red List. And there's a list of all these products, chemicals, and stuff like that. What's in them? So if if you can know uh, what the material constituents are of of that uh, piece of furniture, you know if it's got like vinyl or plastic on it. If you know the type, you can look that up with a Living Future Institute, uh, International Living Future Institute, um, red list, and see if any of any of those materials are on the like toxicity things. And that's it's less about sustainability, more about um, product safety and indoor air quality and and health and stuff like that. But that that in my mind that is a huge component of sustainability. Is like whether that thing is going to be healthy for you. Yeah. Yeah. And like just in the chemical side alone, like I'm sure all those factories, you know, leach into something wherever they're <laughs> building. So the fewer we have in our furniture in our house, the better probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the great thing about these um, these certification programs is they take some of the guesswork out of it for you. I mean, I, I still think that um, you should be that we all should be um, informed consumers with whatever it is that we're purchasing, whether it's a, a home or, or consumer goods to fill our homes. But that takes so much research. Um, so some of these things like FSC, International Living Future Institute, and Cradle to Cradle, those three are really widely, highly regarded gold standards for, for sustain, sustainability spread. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if they do bear any of those labels, you can rest assured that those are those are sustainably produced products. That is so helpful to know. I'm really yeah. excited to actually look up all that stuff. And also, we'll be putting links to all of this stuff in the show notes, too, for the listeners. So it'll be easy for you to, to find all this awesome stuff that Brian's talking about. And I think the final note to add towards furniture, I was mentioning to Eva earlier that it's pretty easy once you become familiar with what FSC certified products are out there. It doesn't, it's not um, difficult to start sourcing those things. So like, for example, Brian, I don't remember if I sent you this picture or if it was also, if it's just James, but when I bought an outdoor coffee table a couple months ago, it was a hundred percent FSC certified and I bought it from Target. So yeah, that stuff is, it's, it's, it's so out there prevalent now. and it's yeah, accessible. Exactly. So I think it's helpful to know to the average consumer, like these things are easy to spot once you do a little bit of research and know what you're looking for. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be really expensive products or that you can't just get them from big box retailers even. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I am hopeful that there's that the day comes in my lifetime where where this is the norm, where sustainably produced products are just, that's just the way it is. It's not, it doesn't take like special certification. You don't have to wonder. It's just, that's the way that things are done because they have to be done and they should be done that way. Yeah. Right. Um, but for the time being, yeah, look for, look for some of those third, third party certifications and do a little research on those certifications. Cause there, it seems like there's a glut of those now too. Um, there's there's is plenty of greenwashing out there too. Yeah. Um. So, do a little bit of research on on those certifications and what the standards are. But in in my industry, FSC is is highly respected. The the Living Building Challenge and the International Living Futures Institute is the gold standard for sus- for sustainable home building, and they also have like I like I said they have the like toxic the list of like toxic products and their, their quote unquote red list of, of things to avoid. And then also products, you know, that have on their declare label are certified free of any of those kind of products. Cradle to cradle, uh, energy star is a really good one for, for appliances, for the performance and then water sense through the EPA. That's a really great one for, for plumbing fixtures and stuff like that. Well, thank you so much, Brian. This has been so insanely helpful. And I'm really excited to look into a lot of this stuff for the new house. And I know our listeners are going to be really excited to dive into this too. Uh, It's my pleasure to be here with you. I'm passionate about about sustainable building, passionate about sharing knowledge and information so people can make more informed decisions. Um, and, and it's it's approachable. Love talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah. it's totally approachable. It is. Yeah, because I feel like sometimes people feel overwhelmed by it, but you know, just like you guys heard here, it's like no matter your budget or your space, you know, you can find ways to make it more energy efficient wherever you're at. Yeah, and I'm happy to uh, uh, give you some web links that you can put up with the uh, with this um, when you post the podcast. Yeah, great. Well, thanks, Brian. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Talk to you real soon. Thanks. Bye. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. You can find our show notes with resources and links at feelslikehomepodcast.com. 
for design advice, send in your listener mail at feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at feelslikehomepodcast. The Feels Like Home podcast is produced by Jeremiah Flores and hosted by interior designer Sam Strzok and styles and photographer Eva Cosmos Flores. Thanks so much for tuning in and stay cozy, friends.